Welcome to the Church Office Podcast. Today's focus is on employment law and we found ourselves a specialist, James Moss from Slate Legal, who has kindly offered to put together this podcast and a video and also some resources on the Church Office site. And we're asking him the question, what are the essential policies that we need to have in place in our churches as we begin to recruit and employ people into various different roles? Please excuse the sound quality as you listen to the podcast. We have recorded this over Zoom and James and I were not able to get together because of the COVID-19 restrictions. So bear with it. I hope you can still get the most out of the podcast. Thank you. James, I love the t-shirt, mate. Thank you very much. Nice, bold start to the day. Yeah. Rolling Stone. There's no moss. There's no moss. <laughs> How are the family and the boys and everything? All right, good. Yeah, very well, thanks. They're um, homeschooling, uh, yeah. supposed to be, but um, as you know, it's pretty difficult to police. Um, yeah. When I'm trying to work full time, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Have you had the email yet from school saying so and so hasn't logged on for their lesson? Yes, we we've, have, unfortunately. Yeah. We've had a few of those most days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah oops sorry about that okay well welcome to the church office and it's a joy to be able to interview james moss this morning and one of the questions that keeps coming up from the emails that we're receiving from churches and folks is questions about employment law and about hr and about those things uh, that happen behind the scenes as people start to employ people in their churches so we've sought a specialist uh, a top man, James uh, James Moss from Slate Legal. Uh, so, mate, thank you for joining us and giving up your time today to be able to do this and thank answer you. some questions. Uh, James, tell us a little bit about yourself, my friend, and how you got into this uh, employment law specialist that you are. Well, I suppose it's a long story. <laughs> but, um, well, I suppose in terms of my, um, my job, what I do, I've, I've been practising now for over 20 years. Uh, mm-hmm. I qualified back in 2000. Uh, my my journey to where I am now is I started back in school, back in basic comp when I was uh, doing my A-levels, economics, yeah. history and French. I really, really enjoyed. I wanted to combine all three and use them in my job. No one yeah. in the family was a lawyer. My parents at the time were teachers. Uh, Mum was a special needs teacher. Dad was a lecturer in the School of Nursing. But I, I really enjoyed um, those subjects. I wanted yeah. to, to to carry on with them. So I went on to study a degree in law at um, King's College London. And yeah. I did a further two years in Paris, studying for a degree in French law at the Sorbonne. Uh, two great cities, had a great time there. Um, and I graduated in 1998, a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I did a training contract with, at the time, one of the world's largest international law firms, Eversheds. Um, okay, yeah, whilst yeah. I was there, managed to wangle another three months back in their Paris office, which was good fun, yeah. uh, doing French labor law, amongst other things. Um, and then I qualified... In 2000, um, joined an employment, uh, leading employment law firm at the time, Capital Law. Mm-hmm. And a few years later, went to TLT in Bristol. And then I came back to Cardiff uh, to join another firm, QT Legal. I was head of employment there, partner there, uh, several years uh, before I decided to leave and launch my own specialist employment practice, Slate Legal. So that was yes. 2016 when we started uh, at Slate Legal. And um, yes, really enjoyed it. I mean, over, over the past 20 years, as you probably imagine, I've advised a wide variety of employees from all walks of life yeah. and all employers yeah. of all sizes as well, the private sector, yeah. public sector, third sector, including churches, yeah. um, on the full range of uh, employment issues, you know, non-contentious stuff, which is the yeah. kind of issues yeah. that crop up on a daily basis, like 
performance issues, disciplinaries, grievances, yeah. contractual issues, whistleblowing, redundancies, etc. And then also contentious stuff. So that means uh, litigation, really. So defending mm -hmm. or bringing um, tribunal claims, employment tribunal claims like unfair, wrongful dismissal, discrimination. Yeah. Unlawful deduction for wages, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's it's um it's a good mix of uh, contract law and tort law. If you're a lawyer, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I find it interesting. It's no case is the same. All the queries I get on, on a, a daily basis are very varied. Um, so that's what keeps it interesting and fresh for me. Great. I love the fact that you are you spent some time in France, mate. That must yeah. be one of your passions as well. Maybe. Uh, maybe. So, yeah, yeah. so we, it's I, funny. We've had a few church uh, from France log on to the church office. Oh. So uh, yeah. maybe this might be relevant for them as well. So no, you're a French speaker as well. Yes, yeah, so I had to I had to be fluent in French to get on the course. So my interview in, when I went to King's years ago, uh, the interview was part in English, part in French uh, with a French professor. So it's just I I really got on well with French in, in Basecamp and just really yeah. enjoyed it. And that started from family holidays in South of France and my parents. So that's yeah. where it all came from. And in fact, the the, the time out in France, it, it really was I loved the French language, but I wanted okay. to do something rather than just French. French law would be more useful for me, so I did. Yeah. And actually, it has been quite useful in the comparison between, well, it's very different. There are some similarities, and, and it's also good to, to know different ways of thinking, different ways of legal reasoning. Yeah. And surprisingly, though I'm based in Newport, I have had a, a number of uh, issues in French where I'm able to advise, for example, uh, a French client or a UK subsidiary based out in France yeah. on, on uh, English, British employment law. Okay. So that was good. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so it does happen. <laughs> yeah, it does happen and it comes across the board. I love that. And um, so we're talking today about how churches should operate in the background you know as it comes to contracts as policies that they need in place and and if i'm honest lots of churches don't have a lot of this stuff in place or it's very archaic they haven't updated it for for many many years and um, so what would you say are absolute essentials for churches to have in place as they start to begin to employ staff a pastor youth worker kids ministry or administrator lots of those kind of roles happen and um uh, yeah. yeah, mate, what would your perspective be on that? Well, yeah, there's, I'd say there's a number of policies, employment policies, which are essential, um, and other policies which are, which are nice to have, but not necessarily essential. So I think the yeah. essential yeah. ones, I would say, for all employers, including churches, regardless, really, of the number of employees, mm -hmm. um, is, is about, um, let me see, I'd say um, nine, I think. So um, the reason I'd say they're essential is because they're either required by law or without them, uh, the employer will be deprived of a potential defence or, or they'd be on a yeah. back foot when defending claims that arise due to the conduct of their staff. For example, discrimination claims, unfair dismissal, health and safety yeah. breaches, bribery, that sort of thing. So the nine essential policies and procedures, I, I'd say, were firstly, equality opportun equal opportunities policy, um, an anti-harassment and bullying policy, disciplinary procedure and rules. Um, grievance procedure, health and safety policy, anti-corruption, yeah. bribery policy, data protection policy, and data retention policy. I'd say that those nine, that those are the nine essential ones. Um, and basically, it, it, it's really prudent for, for churches in particular to take prompt action to put those policies in place because they'll protect yeah. them going forward. And most employers will put them into a staff handbook 
and make it yes. available to their staff on an intranet or internal shared drive and yeah. draw the attention of new recruits when they join during the induction process. Um, so that's very important. Um, and similarly, uh, on a similar level, it's important to have decent employment contract templates in place as well, covering all the key terms um, and, yeah. and ensure that they're provided to new starters on or ideally well before the first day of work. It used to be that you could provide that within two months of the person starting. Mm -hmm. The laws changed. Yeah. Now the contracts have to be in place from day one. Prime so it's time. good practice yeah. to get them, get them to the employees well in advance of that. And the other reason for that, common sense reason, is that um, the obligations, the employees' obligations, are known to them, clearly known to them, before they set foot in the office, before they yeah. set foot yeah. in the place of work. And so they know where they stand, and you know where you stand as an employer, and that protection yes. in place. What you don't want is for someone to start working for you, and then there to be a dispute as to the terms, uh, it gets all messy. Much better to have it all agreed and all sorted before they start the actual job. So that's that's the case for contracts. And you, when providing the employment contract, if you had the, those nine essential policies in place, it'd also be appropriate to provide a copy of those to the employee so they know the sort of policies they'll be working to when yeah. they join you. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think, um, I mean, lots of church administrators that I've met will share contracts between each other or they'll get online and Google employment contracts and will download a, a five pound contract or something as a template and, and that will be the starting basis of it. And, and I think there are probably few that, that do take um, legal advice, James. I'm, I'm sure you'd say that's a big, massive no-no. Yeah, well, it's, it's important to have the right policies in place. It's no good having ones that are you know, inappropriate for your organisation. Um, because it won't help you when it comes to um, you know, claims being made and that sort of thing. So it's, it's important yeah. to have them really tailor-made to your organisation. Yeah, and you, and you never think it's going to happen to you, do you? You never think, you know, you're in a church situation, you think, right, we're all, we all love Jesus, we love the gospel, and yeah. no one's going to, there's going to be no conflict here, no no issues. And, uh, you, you know, you could be, it's foolish thinking to think that way, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's it, yeah, it's wishful thinking. It's, it, Reality is you don't know what will happen from day to day. So you need to protect yourself by having in place, you know, entirely reasonable policies and procedures, which are really common sense, but set out writings yeah. so there can be no debate as to what you really thought, so what, what your obligate what their obligations are and what your obligations are as an employer. Yeah. And I think organizationally in churches you tend to have uh trustees and deacons who may be working those kind of background stuff that aren't always necessarily in involved in the running of the organization day to day it, it is the pastors who who might be hiring people and are, are working through them and and few churches that i know have got you know hr uh, experience in them i mean some have been blessed i know there's a couple of churches who do have you know people who've worked in those kind of industries before that can yeah. give a bit of advice and um, so if you were to talk to pastors here and they might be listening into this podcast or this or watching this video um what would you what advice would you give a pastor uh, who may have ignored comments previously from trustees or deacons you know how do, how do we bring people to work together in this to see change and to make sure we're covering the right bases well I mean, it's, it's it's important to have these these policies in place because they from a church perspective they'll protect you if you are sued um, yeah. So certain claims, um, as I said before, the reason why those policies I deem to be essential is because without them, you, you often don't have uh, the, the, the classic defence. So, for example, 
discrimination matters is what's called um, the uh, employer's reasonable steps defense, which is that if you, if you put in place proper equal opportunities policy or maybe called equality diversity policy, um, and you show that um, you don't condone um, any behavior that would be discriminatory uh, on grounds sex, race, disability, sexual orientation, religion, yeah. belief, age, et cetera, et cetera, um, protected characteristics. Um, as long as you make that clear, you don't condone that and it's, it's not tolerated and action will be taken on disciplinary front. Um, and you can show that you've communicated that policy effectively to your staff and trained them on it if necessary, um, which will be necessary. Uh, and, and as long as you've done that, you can show that you did everything reasonable, took reasonable steps to to prevent that kind of thing happening if you haven't got a policy in place you can't really argue that um yeah. so you're de yeah. deprived of that statutory defense so that's one example um and uh, then again going back to disciplinary disciplinary matters um if you haven't got clear disciplinary rules in place in the first place the employee is going to say well i didn't know that was gross misconduct how was i supposed to know he didn't tell me so you yeah. need to set it out clearly in writing yeah. um and that's why disciplinary rules and the procedure itself needs to be very clear. And also the disciplinary procedure would need to comply with what's called the ACAS code of practice on disciplinary agreements and procedures. Um, and that spells out really common sense things, but it's obviously not that common sense they have to spell it out for you, but yeah, um, yeah. They're, they're there to guide you. And the policy has to make sure it complies with that. As long as you, it does comply with that, then um, you know, again, you've, uh, you've brought that to the employee's attention. Um, you're in a much stronger position to defend what you the action you took based on based on the, on the misconduct, and so you follow those procedures through. So if if you if you if you just copy something off the internet, which is not really tailored to you, might even be the wrong country, um, you know it's not really going to help you, and you'll yeah. be in a, in, a, in a tricky situation when when the uh, when problems the problems arise, which they may well may well arise. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and it's it's worth spending the money if you're going to invest into bringing a staff member onto your pastoral team or onto your your church office team as a youth worker or various different roles then the investment to think about having these policies and paying for some advice um is a good investment into that person into that organization and what you're saying is it, it also protects the organization doesn't it that if, if something comes up yes. and there is a disciplinary matter or there is a dispute or something you know somebody wants to take legal action against you that the church have done everything that they can to protect uh, the yep. organization um, exactly. and and ultimately the gospel then isn't it because this could be a major distraction yep. couldn't it for a church uh, for people oh, absolutely very time with. consuming very time consuming you know often volunteers involved um you give up their own time and to have to deal with these sort of things Will take a lot of a lot of time. Obviously, lawyers. If you instruct lawyers, they'll take the strain off you. But yeah. um, still, be a lot of um, running around and um, investigating and chairing meetings, which is something that the church, you know, the, the their office staff, the um, uh, management team would need to need to deal with. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's 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 good good practice to get them in place, get to get the right policies and contracts in place from day one, um, and it's. Um, it, it it really is um it really is recommended yeah 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 it's a false Excellent. economy to think you can get something cheap off the internet because as i said it, it'll come back to bite you yeah 
yeah if something goes wrong then it it, it can go really really yeah. badly wrong yeah. then you know as a result of those yeah. choices yeah uh, and that's absolutely right and and are you happy on the website just to, to to name those those policies those nine policies and we can put together maybe a fact sheet for someone to say you know yeah, please cool. consider these nine nine policies um, yeah. and i know in the past you've supported churches in terms of doing an audit on the policy that they've already got in place so yeah. this isn't necessarily buying into a whole package is it and and having to buy no, all no, nine no. you may already have some in place that you you know your services uh, can review those and sort of audit those and say yeah no these are great um, absolutely i mean if I mean, for example if the church was wondering you know whether their their policies were up to scratch you know they, they could for example uh, email them across we could check them and if they're fine they're fine if if they're not we might suggest replacing it completely with one of our templates and yeah. or alternatively we yeah. can we can edit what they've currently got and yeah. work with that and work um, one other thing to say i think in relation to um um you know how often you should review these policies and procedures mm. um there's a case that came out only yesterday by the eat which is the employment appeal tribunal in london um and um it's quite quite an, quite an interesting case from from, from our, in relation to our current um discussion um but basically in, in that case the tribunal uh, was entitled to reject an employer's reasonable steps defense to a racial harassment claim. And, and that was because they decided that the policies, the equality and diversity training, which had been given two years previously, um, mm. was, was had become stale and ineffective. And they, and they, right. and they said that the AT said it would have been a reasonable, further reasonable step to give refresher training. So that, that's a reminder that if you, even if you train your staff on all these policies, you, you need to keep refreshing it really every, every yeah. so often and take a view as to whether whether what was in place is still in date in this case something that was two years old was was deemed to be stale and ineffective it may be that the policies themselves weren't very good but but still you need to bear that in mind so it yes. there, there will be ongoing you know, training requires i would have said as well yeah yeah so it doesn't it isn't just a, a tick box exercise that you buy I mean, in some forever no, you've got to revisit yeah. it to make sure it's updated which is you know best best practice would be just have just internally as church, just to review your own policies every year and contracts. See if anything over the years cropped up, which means you might want to tweak a few things here and there. And, and you can do that yourself potentially. Um, yeah. But it's, it's good to keep an eye on these things. And if anything major crops up in the future, then you can you get back in touch with your, your solicitor and um, discuss it. Yeah. So James, how much of your clients are you going back to saying, right, uh, you know, the previous template that you've had with us two years ago needs to be updated. Uh, here's some changes. Are you providing that kind of service to your clients as well? That as the law yeah. changes or as there's things that come into place, you're advising on that? It's not so much the te the, the procedures that, that, that policies that change. It's the, it's the training. People forget what, the, what they learned okay. because, of course, something may never arise. You, you have to put the policy in place, maybe, you know, three or four years, five years go by, no one's brought any claims against you. You've forgotten all the training you had five years ago. That's yeah. just too late. So this this case yesterday was basically saying that, yeah, it's all all great to have the training. But if you don't if you don't update the training every now and again, then everyone forgets what they learned and which is common yeah. sense really. So yeah, yeah so I, I I would say the, the policies and procedures that for example we would provide um will be up to date to the point that we provide them. Um yeah. But the, tra the training that, that goes with that, because you know, personalities change, people leave the church, people join the church, yeah, yeah. and those new starters need to have the same training. So uh, it would just be a matter of scheduling in, you know, training every now and again, um, you know, potentially every two years. Um, okay. okay. Yeah. And I think um, 
one of the questions that we've had from other churches is is saying that you know it's all very well I, yeah i need to update my policy i need to do the training and stuff but how do i move people that are on older contracts to some of the new contracts how do you uh, implement some of this you know in a culture that that doesn't you know spend time uh, doing these practices james what what advice yeah. could you give for that well it's um, a good question because there's a legal procedure for this um you can't just change someone's contract that mm -hmm. would be a breach contract and mm -hmm. um, you have to consult and agree changes so the there's a process for for implementing new new contractual terms so for example if you if you find that your current template contract is rubbish and yeah. you need to update it and change it well you'd um decide on what the change is going to be what, what the new contract looks like and then you consult with the existing staff and, and say look we need to need to update your contract it hasn't been updated for ages laws changed in the meantime uh, these are changes we're suggesting we make these are the reasons why you know it's in line with the current law um, yeah. or um, yeah. this this is irrelevant we've changed it and explain it to them why why you make those changes the rationale for it um and then hopefully they'll agree to those changes um especially if they're just done to keep the contract in line with the current law um but yeah. if they don't yeah. they don't agree with it then there is a procedure um called hire um it's called fire and rehire um colloquially okay. but essentially okay. um hopefully one comes to that but essentially yeah. if if the 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 changes are essential to your business um you really need to make those changes and the employee is adamant that they refuse to agree to it it, it can come to the point where after consultation and having had four meetings with them mm -hmm. gives them an opportunity to raise their objections and for you to respond to that you can potentially force through your decision to to have that new contract so you'd say well, well unfortunately then if, if you're unwilling to accept the new terms we're going to have to terminate your contract on notice or with payment in lieu of notice mm -hmm. if that's a new contract um and uh, and they will offer to rehire you on this new contract on these terms uh, with immediate effect um okay. they'll probably still say no um and give them right to appeal and in fact that that's the end of the line and so you'd have to recruit someone new um but that is that is the ultimate um is the ultimate sort of end of the line and and the reason for that dismissal will be what's called some other substantial reason namely their their failure to agree to uh, important changes to terms terms conditions of employment um yeah. so it's it's not a nice thing to do but it's 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 um it's it's there to protect the employer otherwise the employer could never change terms and conditions of employment if the employee refused yeah. so that's that's the that's the the ultimate in relation to policies and and procedures it's always important that they don't become contractual so they remain pure policies which means okay. you can change them as the employer yeah. without yeah, having to go that. back to your employees to ask for their consent every time so i'd never recommend that you tie in the policies uh, and you say that contract. in the important contract that the attached handbook is contractual or this policy forms part of your contract it doesn't it's always important to make it clear that the policies do not form part of your contract uh, yes. and may be changed by the employer at, at any time and obviously you'd be, you'd be reasonable as an employer and if you did change the policy you bring the change to the employee's attention um, yeah. and if necessary give additional training on it um, but uh, but yeah that, that, that's 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 there to to ensure um you know, to, to ensure business can operate really and organizations yeah. can operate effectively and, <coughs> excuse me james and and i mean as a pastor 
listening to to this or or yeah. trying to work through that that seems like a, a tough road to go down just yes. going through the organizational change you know and then dealing with all the different aspects of of that and and the, the employee's perspective on on what how they interpret the contract and whether they're happy to agree or not and yeah. it could lead to a whole host of other pastoral issues and and it's it's really different or difficult context in church isn't it when you're working together and you're part of a local church and you're trying to pass to someone and you hold both of those roles in tandem mm-hmm. it, James is there a way for you know for contracts that you've got in the past with staff um not to change and for you to just anyone that you knew take on you you start implementing slowly oh, the yes. new changes is that... Actually, that that's an easy way of doing it yes yeah um, so so if if you if you agreed new contracts then you just make sure that for all new starters start on the new contract um yeah, yeah. As, as long as the pay the pay is is the same you know the same basis as existing yes. staff yeah um, and there are no provisions in there which would be discriminatory then there'd be no issue no equal pay issue for example um, yeah. that's fine but yeah that's the easy way of doing it because you, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't need to force everybody else to change their current contracts um, although you may want to consider you know if if the if the terms are radically different from the terms that the other staff have then you might want to try and harmonize them all and go through yes. a constant process. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and most of the time churches are talking about sort of two or three people. So, you know, uh, you know, yeah. obviously some of the bigger churches may be more, um, but you're right. You, you can. There are different ways to implement this and, and and to be on a bit of a journey to make some changes. Um, not everyone can go right. I'm stopping there. I'm going to go this way and go 100 percent to what you're saying. It it, it mm-hmm. is a bit more of a process, isn't it? And um, yeah, and. And, and hopefully people will begin to start to engage with this because often I think it's one of those things that they don't talk about and we don't address. Um, and, no. uh, and it does lead to, to burying your head in the sand and, and eventually, you know, yeah. you are going to get caught out on it, aren't you, somewhere along the line? Yeah. I think it's highly unlikely that in a church context, you have to go down the, higher, the fire and rehire routes because mm-hmm. you'd, hope, you'd hope that the, the Christian ethos of the place would mean that... Um, consultation would, would naturally lead to resolution and, yes. and nothing else and, and you wouldn't need to force force anything through but yeah. that said there's always exceptions to the rule and you know you can never guarantee that that's, that's the whole thing <laughs> yeah. will go smoothly yeah you um, can't. but i think it's more likely in a church context than any other context to be honest yeah this going to be more straightforward yeah yeah yeah, no, that's uh that's really helpful Nate. and and so slate legal have loads of these templates in place and i know you and i've been chatting about um you know how could you get behind some of the churches that are following the church office that are being supported and i know you've put together some some packs and some prices and stuff that that people can access through the church office to help them and you've sort of templated you know here's what it would cost to move from you know one set of contracts and handbook to a new set and what legal advice you need and what the costs are and, and all of those things. And we can make those yeah. available to people and, cool. and to email, you know, obviously email you directly James or to come through the church office at info at the church And we can yeah. connect you to, to start that conversation. And I think it's important that even if you, you, you've got to start a journey and you may be in an organization where you're a trustee or a deacon and you know what you're hearing today, you think I need to, put some action in place and um, then start a conversation 
and, and you know let's talk about james is, is available to to give some advice and say right yeah this is how you need to start going uh, these are the people you need to start speaking to and i'm sure there are trustees who ultimately are responsible for a lot of churches um you know have a responsibility to ensure that the legal aspects of employment law are being met um, yeah. and that that is important so a refresher for the role for trustees if you're a trustee then you know check you've got these things in place in your organizations that you're supporting in, in that role um james give us a couple of scare tactics you know of uh, of people you know who haven't put some of these things in place some of your experience where maybe not necessarily churches but organizations where they've been stung by not having this you're not talking just a few thousand pounds here are you in claims no i mean the um uh the well for, for discrimination claims there is no limits of conversation in theory okay. um there uh you know the, the employee if, if you get it wrong um they, they can claim for uh, financial loss that, that would be the if, if they're sacked for example or dismissed for example yeah they'd be yeah. claiming for their loss of net income from dismissal until such time as they get a new job somewhere else um when the loss stops and on top of that um uh they could have they could have a basic award for unfair dismissal mm -hmm. based on their age length of service same as a statute redundancy payment but but also in a discrimination context they claim what's called injury to feelings which that's the, that's the un, un, uncapped bit. And okay. so it's how long is a piece of string type thing. The judge has to make a decision on, on how long the string is. Mm -hmm. um, but they have some guidance. There's three different bands, you know, lower, middle, and upper. And I just grab the bands for two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and currently, currently the, um, the, the lower band is 900 to 9,000 pounds. The middle band is 9,000 to 27,000 pounds. The upper band is 27,000 to 45,000, but there is in theory no cap. So a, a judge could award a lot more than that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's very expensive. Um, and then of course, on top of that, tribunal tribunal fees, you know, you're probably looking on in average for a discrimination claims are rarely Quick matters that very involve complicated, more complicated than unfair dismissal usually. Um, not often you have it all jumbled together, several claims in one. But you know you could easily rack up. Um, well, for for an ordinary unfair dismissal claim, you're looking at easily twelve grand plus VAT in legal fees for for a one day one day case. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, the more days involved, the, the more barristers' fees will be involved. Um, you know, the yeah. more expensive it gets. So it can be very expensive. It quickly escalates, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So it really does uh, does pay to you know to um, do things right the first time around. Um, have right the best best way to do that is have decent contract in place and decent policies and procedures in place and follow them. Yeah. And, and um, at least then you, you've 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 done the right thing and you won't go far wrong. Um, what, what what tends to happen is businesses don't do that sort of thing. They they, they don't have proper contracts in place. They haven't been never been signed or agreed. Policies are out of date, or they haven't got any. And then when it comes to being sued, they're on a back foot, and trying to defend them is hard. Um, yes. Not impossible, but but more difficult. And um, and so so it just it just makes more sense to uh, to to do that. You see the, the headlines in the you know various papers um, about these massive awards. Often it's because the employee is very highly paid to start with, so okay. the loss of earnings is very high. But but equally on discrimination claims. You know, where there's been a campaign, a long campaign of harassment, for example, um, 
it's going to be a very high payout, you know, mm. uh, because the the effect on the individual, um, how it's affected them, will be will be considerably greater than if it was a one-off act of of harassment, for example. Yeah. Um, so it all depends on the severity and it's the impact on the victim which matters. Um, it doesn't matter what the what the intention was. I really, it's the if, if the person feels um, that that their um, the dignity is being violated. Mm-hmm. Um, then um, that's enough um, from the harassment from the harassment point of view. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that does drive home the point that how important it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, one one question that I know has come in um, from from pastors, and you know, in terms of equal opportunities and trying to balance what the biblical principles are of say of employing say a pastor into a role where you know, you've got a biblical requirement of what that should look like in a job description. Um, and you then got the legal requirements. Um, and so is, is there a way to, to bring those two together? So, you know, the churches want to protect that they've got a pastor who loves Jesus, who's, who's following a, a code of conduct, who's following a statement of faith. Um, you know, are you able to write those things into contracts, into staff handbooks, um, from that kind of biblical perspective, um, as well as meeting yeah, the kind of legal yeah. requirements. Yeah, where, where it, it gets more complicated here because we're yeah. dealing with religion and belief. I mean, there, there is a religion and belief is protected characteristic. So, um, you know, Christians are entitled to be protected as well as Muslims yeah. and other faiths, and those who have no faith at all, um, atheists, etc. So, um, philosophical beliefs are also covered. Um, what, what's important is that whatever you're doing, you're complying with with the law. So, as a, as a, as a pastor, um, yes, where, where where they're required to teach, you know, biblical principles, um, the contract will look slightly different to where there is no teaching requirement and there is no requirement that they believe um, certain things. Um, mm-hmm. There is there is no. It, it will depend on the nature. For example. The contract for an office cleaner will be very different to the contract for the pastor, yeah, uh, because there are different obligations. That the cleaner yes. isn't going to teach anybody anything. You wouldn't, you wouldn't strictly need, you, you wouldn't need to have necessarily a Christian cleaning the cleaning the church in that role. Um, yeah. Whereas you would need a Christian preaching from the pulpit. Yes. So there's a difference. So it depends on the scenario, and you are allowed to make variations like that um, in in strict circumstances. Um, so yeah, the care needs to be taken when drafting contracts, which is why I go back to what I said before: that there isn't one size fits all. You can't just flick something from the internet and use it for everybody. You need to tailor the contracts to the individuals involved. Yeah, that's great. And and you can offer that advice to to people as they as they work through those things as churches, particularly because they they are going to want to to have those distinctives, you know, and, the, you yeah. know, and, and holding pastors to those statements of faith, you know, yes. is important and, and where they deviate from them. Um, you know, lots of churches, you know, where someone's teaching something, you know, that isn't considered to be biblical. How do, you know, organizations like churches, trustees take action to, you know, to bring somebody back in line or maybe have mm-hmm. to dismiss a pastor who, who has in their, you know, deviated from everything that they've ever believed and 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 we we do see some of that in churches and that does happen and, and yeah. how do organizations protect against that as well um, yeah well i think one 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 important step will be to have a clear constitution for the church what you agree what what, what your beliefs are uh, and and tie that in when recruiting for, for for example a minister pastor 
um, and so everyone's clear on what the what the, the articles of faith are believed um, and that sort of thing. Um, but as I said, that would be very different. And the obligations that you would introduce in a contract for a pastor would be extremely different, totally different to yeah. somebody who hasn't got any teaching responsibilities, like like the office cleaner, the church cleaner. Yeah. Um, it would be it would be different. So it need it needs to sort of can't really sort of cover it all in one podcast because um, right. it's quite a complicated topic. But you can do it. Just need to be take care when when tailoring the contract. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know for for church administrators like you know like me and, and other churches, you know, you are dealing with both sides. You know, you know, you're, you're building maintenance staff. Uh, you know, and then you've got the kind of ministry side, which again is slightly different. Uh, James, thank you for your time today, mate. Love uh, your expertise and, you know, you've got a whole host of experience that we can sort of lean on as, as churches and administrators and, and the church office, you know, the opportunity to put this together uh, really does serve churches and to begin to start those uh, those conversations in their organisations uh, and then to be able to, you know, to think about, right, what are the nine essential policies that you've referenced and we can put those on the website and make those available um, and where people want to, you know, explore those conversations further with yourself or with the church office, and that we're willing and and, and desirous to help people uh, to get these things right and to serve, you know, our employees and also to protect our organisation um, and the gospel ultimately. So, James, thank you, mate, for your time. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Kevin. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. A big thank you to James Moss and the team at Slate Legal for kindly putting this podcast together. James has also written an article that's available on the website and he's also put together a fact sheet, if you like, of general advice around the nine essential policies for churches to have in place. Again, this is available at the document template section of the website and you can download this for free of charge. If you do have any other questions that you'd like us to cover or topics, uh, then please uh, email us in at info at thechurchoffice.co.uk uh, we'd love to be able to uh, cover new and topics that are just really helpful for church administrators or those working behind the scenes in their churches so thank you for joining us today <laughs>